This podcast is brought to you by Lerex. Lerex is a payment solutions provider that brings prepaid debit cards to market for your business. Setting up prepaid cards can be complex. Lerex combines their experience with a cutting-edge platform to set up and manage this on your behalf. Whether it's a card to help your clients settle claims more easily or to improve your business's digital payment capabilities, visit www.lerextech.com to learn more. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Kachansky and welcome to episode 78 of InsureTech Insider. We are still recording remotely. Uh, we do also still want your suggestions on people we should get on the show and we want to hear about as wide a range of people as possible. So please do get in contact by emailing podcast11fs.com with your suggestions of people we should have along for the show. So today we are back to our old friend, travel insurance, and we're going to be talking about how the pandemic has impacted the way these products are designed and sold. As always, I'm not alone. I'm joined today by Nigel Walsh. How are you doing, Nigel? I'm really well, thank you. I'm actually very excited by this one because when I ask my family or my friends, the first thing they say they go do when the pandemic is over is travel. So I'm intrigued as to what the future holds. Mm, yes, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, we're also joined by two amazing guests uh, from around the world today. So first up, we have Jason Wilby, co-founder of Open. How are you doing today, Jason? And where are you? I'm very good, thank you. And I'm joining today from New Zealand, um, which whilst caught off from much of the world, um, we're doing pretty well here. I'm pleased to be here. Yes, I'm, my, my sister lives down there. and I'm, I'm very jealous of the situation right now. Um, can you start off by telling us a little bit about Open, please? Sure. So Open is, um, we're an Australian full stack um, insurer. We create and sell car, home and travel insurance products that are simple to use, um, but include powerful tech features such as our unique online claim settlement, um, which is fairly unique across the broad products of car, home and travel. I think we're best known probably for our brand um, huddle.com.au, which is our consumer brand. We also white label insurance for other large brands who sell our products in Australia and New Zealand and perhaps one day soon in the UK. Brilliant. Uh, Well, lovely to have you along. Thank you for coming. Um, We're also joined today by Sasha Gynulin, CEO of Battleface. How are you doing today, Sasha? Good, good. How are you, Sarah? Whereabouts in the world are you? I am in Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. So things are a little bit different there. (laughs) Just just slightly. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll put that to one side. Um, Can you start off by telling us a little bit about Battleface, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, Battleface, we're we're a cover holder at Lloyd's of London, and we're a startup within the travel insurance industry. And we, as a team, we we all come from a very extensive travel insurance background. And before COVID-19, we saw several changes that were taking place within travel industry, but did not see the same changes taking on within the travel insurance industry, and decided to start Battleface to create specialty travel insurance products which became very relevant post-COVID-19 or within the COVID-19 times. Brilliant. Well, I'm sure we can get into that very shortly. Thank you all for joining me. Let's get on with the show. So let's start, in fact, by discussing travel insurance as a product uh, I have in my notes post-COVID-19, but I'm going to disagree with my notes and say in the midst of COVID-19, because as far as I can tell, we're nowhere near being past it yet. Um, Let's start with a fairly obvious question here. Um, Are people actually buying travel insurance at the moment? So, I mean, that's been a, I mean, the change for our business in Australia and New Zealand happened very, very swiftly. Um, Things are a bit different down here. Borders closed. Um, very, very kind of conservative measures when it comes to travel. So um, no one's buying travel, let alone travel insurance in in, in our part of the world, um, which is yeah, in some ways created a bit of breathing space to to actually think through some of the some of the complexities. But it was a, a fairly abrupt full stop um, for us in this part of the world. Sasha, what have you seen over there? Uh, we see a bit of a difference here because our products have been created with specifically to not include restrictions that are issued by different governments or government travel warnings. So we've been quite popular since July 3rd. Is that when uh, Europeans started to travel? So we've seen uh, quite a bit of uh, sales and development within Battleface where uh, we've been supporting many, many travelers who essentially were stuck and all of their standard travel insurance policies 
were voided because of different travel warnings that are issued by the governments. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's all very well saying, you know, that, that Europeans can travel, but are Americans allowed into Europe and the Irish allowed into America and who's allowed where? And, and the, the advice seems to be changing daily. Um, but I mean, I suppose one for you, perhaps, Sasha, do you think the pandemic has helped people understand why it's actually important to have travel insurance? Because normally when we talk about this subject, we go on and on about how people don't buy travel insurance. And if they do buy it, it's the wrong travel insurance. Do you, do you think you've seen people go, oh, my God, my holiday has been disrupted or I'm really worried about getting ill abroad? and people it's been an uptick or or is it you know not something that you can comment on to that uh, to that level of detail yeah absolutely because um you know personally uh, i've been on the phones talking to customers myself because we we we've been so busy with um different requests that are coming by email chat or telephone ever since i guess again july 3rd um and the level of understanding of what insurance covers nowadays and doesn't is amazing to me. Before COVID-19, nobody ever asked us, um, does my insurance cover for FCO travel advisory or government warning? Now, the first question that comes up is exactly that. Is my insurance covering me while I'm traveling? And let's say the government changes the mind in terms of is Spain safe or not Spain uh, or not safe to travel to. Secondly, of course, the second question that comes up all the time Am I covered for COVID-19 medical expenses? What happens if I catch COVID-19 while traveling? And of course, before COVID-19, even when pandemics like Ebola happened or SARS or different pandemics that we've seen in the past, I rarely heard that question from customers in the past. Yeah, that's. I mean, and so that's great. That shows a much wider understanding of what it what it does, and we want that actually. Um, it, uh, you know, ideally, it wouldn't be people going out and googling it themselves to work out the details or having to get on the phone to you. But it's it's a good start, Jason. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, what it, there's so many, so much badness has come out of COVID. But I think there's there are we've, we've got to look for these silver linings, and and one sort of I guess you know slightly strange one is that people are leaning in and wanting to know what they're covered for in travel insurance but across the board i think um you know it's something that the industry battles with is is trying to find ways to to you know to get consumers to, to you know to really sort of check whether a product is right for them um and i think that's uh you know if we're going to clutch for silver linings there, there, there's definitely one there that people are more engaged in finding out how their policy will respond what about you nigel have you seen anything or yeah, I mean, same same ilk, actually. I was chatting to a lady the other night and we were talking about insurance in general, not just travel insurance. And she just said to me, I just don't care enough. And if you've never, I mean, I mean, but that's broadly the attitude we get in lots of issues in, in uh, retail insurance. I don't care. I'm not interested. It'll never happen to me. You know, for the small percentage of people that claim, then it matters and it starts to matter more. But for the 90 plus percent of people that have never had a claim, then why would you actually bother, right? It's, it's that I get it. But to Sasha's point as well, I think it does this, does this start to change the relationship and the nature of your relationship with a trusted provider about A, what's covered, number one, back to all the COVID things that have now come out and whatever else. Uh, and number two, where's your trusted source of information? Uh, is my responsibility as the travel insurer now to tell you not only what you're covered for, but actually here's the constant changes that are going because it's such a fluid situation. Hey, New Zealand's currently going into quarantine. These are the things that you can and can't do, or these are the things that you have to do or, or, or must not do. These are the, and, and as you know, as, as, as we said, there's a lot of confusion whether you're allowed to do it for socially or for work or for school or whatever it may be. So it's, it's complex. And I think people need to start to turn into trusted sources for this extra insight. The problem with that is that who's a trusted source? And by the way, you can't actually go to New Zealand. It's not, you can, unless, you, unless you've got a family member there or you've got a passport, you're not going. Um, it's really interesting, actually, on the point about, you know, the trusted sources. Uh, Monzo, which obviously a near bank, launched a new product um, a few weeks ago here in the UK that includes travel insurance cover. And when you read through um, that, Monzo, incredibly good and incredibly clear and incredibly transparent about what anything in their product is and where it covers but they've actually got a whole separate page which is completely dedicated to travel insurance and their policy because then they can just keep that up to date and they've got one person who just looks at that every day and looks at what's relevant and what's not which is incredibly time consuming for the company but monzo has built a brand of trust so if it was going to go into travel insurance it had to ensure that the travel insurance was equally as trusted as as their banking brand um because you know they are building a brand and 
bringing in travel insurance could really have, have you know hurt them at the moment um jason you wanted to comment there i just think i'm just picking up i mean i'd love hearing that about monza i hadn't seen that and i think just on your point nigel it's it's almost creating like a, it's there's just a whole bunch of un, a, a whole bunch of need there that you know traditionally we're in the insurance business so we sell products but actually people are looking for advice they're looking for help they're looking actually is it worth my while going to Greece and if this happens what happens there's 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 so much product opportunity there that actually probably extends far beyond insurance but insurance and insurance brands and financial services brands perhaps they're really well placed to just making me think there's just a lot of opportunity actually to start to respond to some of those 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 problems from a product perspective. I guess the question is, you can start to respond to the products from a product perspective, but how do insurance brands, which doesn't apply to you, this question doesn't apply to you two, but there is another question for for your brands. If you are a legacy insurer who doesn't have the best reputation in the world, how do you go about changing that reputation? And I suppose for companies like your own, like Battleface and Open, that would be Huddle, I imagine, how do you convince consumers that they can trust you when you're not a brand that is as big as, I don't know... um, Aeon or Aviva or yeah, any of the or... other players. Yeah, any anybody like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think um, what we've seen at least, um, and again, what happened in the European market, many, many travelers already had their flights booked uh, with Ryanair or EasyJet to go to Spain, France, or whatever the destination might have been. They had hotels booked. Um, and then all of a sudden, of course, FCO or FCDO now uh, changed uh, travel advice and they're big brand travel insurance policies that they've been purchasing years over years over years, annual policies, even some of the policies that they clicked through to purchase through Ryanair or easyjet.com or whatever the airline that they booked through, all of a sudden became invalid. Airlines are still flying. Hotels are still operating. So consumers were left with the fact that they would lose all the money because when they called the airline saying, well, the government saying, it's not safe to travel. Can I cancel my booking? The airlines are, airlines response, well, we're still flying. So there is no cancellation or refund uh, that takes place. So consumers were left with all of a sudden they had to study what type of travel insurance I can purchase. And, and that's how Battleface was discovered. And yes, we I think the first few weeks, every single every second phone call that I was um, answering, the first question, who are you and can I trust you? And who's your underwriter? I've never heard of you before. And and that's the that's the relationships that we had to build. Well, and actually it links back to the Monzo point and to Sasha, your point is now, you know, you know, the Monzo Plus is really interesting about them launching the premium stuff. And then if you go onto the site, it will tell you mobile phone insurance with assurance, right? It's a huge multi-billion dollar organization. Travel insurance with AXA, you know, again, a huge well-known brand. So they've, as, as a, uh, I guess, an introducer in this space rather than a regulated entity for the insurance piece, they're pushing out to brands that they trust. Sasha, to your point, does that make it more difficult for, a, for an unknown brand to come to market without the history of, you know, 150 years of providing insurance services? Or actually, like yourselves, is it a plus because you can act quickly, you can do things that are different, You've got the backing of, you know, Lloyd's of London, wherever else. Does it make it easier for you or is it, is it harder? Um, I think pre-COVID-19, I would say it was probably harder because obviously you're also dealing with the consumers who don't, like your friends that you were talking to. I don't really care. You know, travel insurance is nuisance. Um, you know, nothing ever is going to happen to me. Um, but nowadays, I, I, I'm not sure if you've seen different studies um, before COVID-19. I think there was only 20% of Americans that actually purchased travel insurance. Um, now there's studies that that number is going up to 52% where uh, consumers will be considering uh, to purchase travel insurance. I think there's so much education that has taken place. Um, and it helps, of course, startups like us um, to have a backing of major insurance companies like Lloyd's of London. And it works. Um, and we, even, when you call our telephone line, we even say that we're a cover holder at Lloyd's of London regulated by FCA. Because FCA, for example, was another another question that came up quite a bit initially. Are you a regulated entity? Um, and uh, certainly we had to overcome all of those questions. But I think to your point, Nigel, in terms of help, um, we this is where the novel uh, kind of the the new way of doing things comes in because we don't have that legacy systems that have been built for distribution channels through airlines or um, you know. Uh, all those legacy products that have been built with all of the different exclusions. 
Um, and we've built our systems in a way where we're, we can add different benefits as we go. And for example, COVID-19 cover for medical expenses, it was very, very important for us to have that as part of our policies. Because even though I understand trip cancellation benefits is probably is not many underwriters right now don't want to include that in their policies. But I think the most important benefit that consumers are looking for, I'm going anywhere anyway. I've already booked my flight. I've already booked my hotel. I'm visiting my family. Am I covered for COVID-19 medical expenses? And were we able to add that? So, Yeah. I mean, the question, I guess, is um, to, in order to do that, and, you know, honestly, does that make your policy more expensive? It's yes or no. Because if, uh, so we price out per day. Um, that's why we don't really do annual multi-troop policies, because it's so difficult to, uh, to be innovative with those policies because, um, uh, you know, you have to project, right, uh, for uh, what kind of exclusions you can put in place. So we charge per day and we charge based on your destination and age. So if you're, you know, if you're traveling to Spain for one week, we're actually quite competitive because we don't have, we just charge exactly what you're traveling for. But then if you book for a year, then certainly it becomes expensive. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, Jason, did you have anything you wanted to add on, on those last two questions, actually? Yeah, I, the, my brain was sort of spinning, thinking about the trust, um, I guess, this sort of idea of trust and um, COVID and all of this uncertainty, you know, potentially, whether I think whether it's an incumbent brand or a challenger brand, is going to put, you know, it's going to put additional strain on relationships with customers. Um, we we borrowed an idea early on in, in our sort of founding kind of you know, thesis from um do you know rachel botsman she wrote the book what's yours is mine sort of coined the collaborative economy and all that kind of stuff in the, you know, 2006 before most of us started spotting airbnb she's up, up at oxford good good writer but she she puts forward this model um for trust and um I, i'll slightly borrow it but she says you know the reason we trust another person or another brand is it comes down to two kind of core ideas reliability can I trust this person to do what they say they're going to do or this brand to deliver? And the second one is this idea of, do I sort of believe that their intent is good? And I think when you look at insurance in general, we've always thought that it, you know, insurance companies the world over have quite low levels of consumer trust, um, largely driven by what is perceived as an unreliable product. I buy this thing, I don't know what it is, and I don't know what's going to happen come claims time. And and, and most consumers have a bit of a question about why, what, you know, why it is that they, they, they exist. Um, and our view is, has always been, how do we automate and just picking up on some of Sasha's things there how do we build systems so that we can solve customer problems in a really reliable way really really quickly um, and then how do we do that in a way that um, shows kind of good intent and aligned interests and I think just coming full circle when you look at COVID it's creating all this uncertainty you've got consumers buying products that oh gosh now I sort of worry even more about whether it's going to be the right product for me potentially um, and a lot of stress on incumbents I think to be able to deliver you know consistent reliable claims experiences and so I think that creates a lot of opportunity for, for, for challenges um, and insurtechs who can help incumbents solve those problems but really interesting if you just look at it through that trust lens now that's a really interesting point, actually, because if you're looking at the kind of the one one kind of partnership model is, you know, Monzo's trusted and goes with, a, a you know, an AXA, which isn't necessarily as, as widely trusted, though is, you know, more well known. Um, but you can look at it another way and, and, and have, uh, you know, a, an AXA working with a with a smaller insurtech that has a consumer facing brand and then they can both lift each other. So the, the smaller insurtech can do more of the, the innovation and the AXA sits there and does does the underwriting. Now, whether the AXA is wants to just sit and be the underwriter and whether they want to give up that you know uh, consumer interaction whether they want to be the person who owns the customer brand you know what do they want to do do they want to work on building their customer brand do they want to keep that interaction with the customer or do they go you know what this is hard work and we've messed it up we're just going to pull back yeah and I guess the question there is do they you know do, do consumers sort of sway for the it's a four-week process paper-based lottery whether you get a claim paid nicely or is there someone like Mons or you know, someone else who's going to sort of intermediate that experience and turn it into a three-minute predictable online experience open sort of thing so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that how that plays out as well nice plug obviously obviously <laughs> I'm showing where, my, where, where we're playing our cards <laughs> Nigel I I I, I wonder uh, and I'm conscious that Sarah and I probably both sit in the fintech bubble that's in London, and we're all familiar with Monzo and its four million customers and what's not. But if you look at the hundred plus million customers that AXA have worldwide, and I go and ask someone that doesn't sit in the bubble that is fintech London, and they said Monzo versus, or even go to N26 or Chime or any of these startup banks, or whatever it might be, versus a traditional carrier that's been around for donkey's years, 
Chubb, you, you name the big carriers that do tra- uh, travel, then I, I, I do just challenge our own thinking sometimes. I, and I'm guilty of it myself sometimes of going, hey, this is really cool. InsureTech will lead the way out of it. I think InsureTech gives us the agility and stuff to go this modern ways of doing things and it's all fancy and new and shiny. But actually, even when, even when we bought travel insurance, my wife was looking on the comparison sites. I remember her going googling. And my only question to her was, well, who's the underwriter? I wasn't interested if the fancy brand at the front was, uh, you know, X, Y, or Z. I was only interested in, was there a reputable company that I knew would be around for a long time that could pay it? And I don't know if the education or understanding exists in the broader market for people to ask that question. I, well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, but I think the, 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 to counter both your points, I think you're absolutely right that people don't look for the underwriter. They look for the cheapest. In the UK, we buy our travel insurance from a comparison website. That's just what we've historically done. It's it came here first. It's it's spreading now. And and that's people look for the cheapest thing. And they don't often care for the brand. You know, the brand doesn't mean anything for them anyway. They just want whatever's cheapest they think is going to cover them. But that's the point that I think Sasha is making and we we're trying to make earlier is that people are prepared to pay a bit more now if they because they actually want to understand. It's not the underwriter they care about, I don't think. It's Sasha's point. It's am I covered? If you're saying, yes, I'm covered, you could be, I could never have heard of you before. I don't, you know, if AXA can promise me that I'm covered, then I'll go with AXA. But if they can't promise me, and presumably it's not as easy to get through to somebody at AXA to ask these questions as it is yeah. to get through to Sasha, yeah, um, yeah. then then I th- I think they will pay a bit more and it won't matter so much about the brand. But that's just I, my perspective. I, I totally agree on that. I, th- I think nowadays we'll see that. And I'm not just saying that because you know, obviously we're, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm trying to make a point, but I think that's what we'll see is, Consumers are more and more educated and they're realizing more and more about what type of insurance they need to purchase. And, um, and you know, I've seen so many comments where I've been paying my insurance for years to whatever company and, um, and they didn't come through when I needed it the most. And that's the question that comes in all the time, either when you before you go or while you have a claim. And that's, of course, the number one reason why consumers come back to you. All right. Well, we're just going to leave it there for the first half. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back very soon. A friendly reminder, we have a brilliant newsletter at 11FS called Fintech in 5. It's a snack-sized selection of the biggest stories of the week, and it's delivered straight to your inbox every Friday. To find out more, sign up at 11FS.com forward slash newsletter. That's 11FS.com forward slash newsletter. We just launched two brand new shows on our LinkedIn page. And if you love our podcast, you should go and check them out. Every Tuesday, we deep dive into the biggest banking and fintech news stories with our show Newsroom. We've already had great episodes on the FinCEN files leak and the CrowdCube and Cedars merger that you can watch back on our LinkedIn or YouTube now. And every Thursday, we speak to experts in the technology and financial services worlds about the work they do and their careers to date. Okay, let's get on with the show. So the next one is the bit I was excited by. Don't get me wrong, I'm excited by all of these things. But this is one that's really intriguing to me because I think of all the products, and actually we've been involved in a lot of things recently talking about what are the new work from home products or whatever else. As I said at the very beginning, the one thing I miss most and I'm looking forward to once we're all able to do this is getting out and travel is what does the future hold? And this really is post-COVID or maybe it's not even post-COVID, maybe it's as we live with COVID. Now, I know, Sasha, you've talked about this quite a bit, but where, where do we even start with this? What does the future hold for the industry? Do we think, and I think, you know, Sarah and I have spoken about things like wedding insurance that's been taken off the market and not many people are uh, selling it at all. I think on travel, we've seen people withdraw it and it's now definitely back on. Um, where is it all headed? What do you think is going to stop? How is the future going to be shaped on all this stuff going forward? I really think that, first of all, travel insurance is going to continue to be a major point of travel. And travel continues on. Um, you know, how we said, mid-COVID or post-COVID-19, people are traveling. I was just on the flight between, you know, within the United States and the plane was full. So, but what we'll see is um, many, many countries around the world are coming out with an entry requirement of you as a passenger arriving or a tourist arriving into their country must have travel insurance. And it was started out with Israel, United Arab Emirates, spilled into Thailand, Costa Rica, Brazil, and many, many tourist destinations. With And I think many of these destinations actually wanted to have a requirement for travel insurance before COVID-19 to begin with. So that will stay. 
And many countries even go to the extent where you have to show proof of travel insurance that covers you for COVID-19 medical expenses. And many airlines, like Emirates Airlines, for example, um, is asking you to show that before you check in. So I think post-COVID-19, we will see this as a requirement permanently. You, your point about airlines, so that, that, that is really interesting, but you, you actually mentioned earlier in the show about airlines saying we're still traveling and stuff like that. I think we saw some airlines, and Sarah, I'm sure you and I talked about this before, but some airlines were offering to repatriate you to get them back on the back on the flights and, and, and business. Your, your comment about, hey, you were on an internal flight, still I find quite shocking. I don't know about Sarah, but I've not been on a flight since February. I've not even been into my mum's house since February. So I think the world's opening up or dealing with it in different ways, or in the New Zealand case, shutting down and not letting anyone in, period. So it's I find it quite odd to comprehend how, I think someone posted on Twitter the other day, a picture of a US airport that was just packed with a gate, with everyone rushing to a gate. I just It's just a scene I'm not used to. Well, it's it is interesting. I was um, talking to some people the other day. I was doing I was doing an exercise class. I was doing yoga outside, and it's now October, which is winter, basically, as far as I'm concerned. So anyway, that's that's a story for another time. But um, I was doing it outside because that is the safest way to to, to do exercise classes. And um, the other people in the class were astounded that I hadn't been on a summer holiday. Well, I had been on a summer holiday that it was in the UK. Every single one of them had been on a plane at least twice since March um, to various places, you know, Turkey, Greece. Um, and one lady even went so far as to say, I just love how busy the airports are. It makes me so happy to see everything thriving. And I was like, we have very different approaches to this whole situation. So, so I think the point is, they're all British. Yeah, this is, you know, in the home counties. It's. I think the point is, it's very, very different wherever you are and I think to the point that Sasha was making I think the only way to really uh, make sure people can still travel and travel safely and ensure we don't head back into the kind of nobody can leave the house except for one hour a day situation is to enforce it and so you must have travel insurance and you may must have had to have had a test you know if that's a thing I know that Heathrow started doing this now I don't know if that's happening probably not in New Zealand if we're not actually allowed to leave although actually maybe you can tell us a bit about New Zealand because I think you can travel to Australia now can't you? There is, I mean, it's the, uh, it's, this is part of the issues of dealing with travel insurance. It's confusing. I mean, it's confusing. It's back to those issues at the top. Where can you travel to and under what circumstances? And Australia announced a bubble. So New Zealanders can travel to Australia, but you're not allowed to travel from Australia back to New Zealand. Oh, wow. It's a very, it's a one, Do you think one, it was on purpose? Lane, <laughs> a one lane bubble. Um, so yeah, there, 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 there are yeah, a lot, a lot of restrictions here. I mean, the thing, the thing that's really interesting in these markets, and I'm sure it's probably the same for, for some parts of, of the UK as well, that it sounds like a lot of people got a summer holiday, but there's so much pent up demand for travel. I mean, what we've heard is forward bookings for cruises. I mean, again, people want to go to busy airports. People want to go on cruises again. And in this part of the world, that was, your know, cruises were seen as the epicenter. Um, but forward bookings for cruises in 2021 are, you know, sort of beyond kind of, you know, any anybody's sort of wildest expectations. So I think you've got pent up demand. You've got all of this kind of education that's going on in terms of the need for, for insurance. Um, surely, you know, the market's going to respond, right? You know, there's there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of demand for, for insurance. So this is interesting, right? And, and, and your perspective, this will be, will, will be, will be really interesting here. Who buys it going forward? Is it me as the customer or like we said about the airline, Jamaica just announced a program for mandatory insurance for entering Jamaica to reopen tourism. It's called Jamaica Cares. Is it the cruise liners? I think we talked previously about Saga uh, uh, partnering up with Cunard or something like that to go, hey, trust us. We've got a capability. These are all the things that we're going to do. So will it be the owner of the asset, whether it's an island or airline or hotel group that says, don't worry, we've got you buying commercial insurance? Or will it be the consumer buying it? So how do you unlock that? I mean, and, and who does the unlock? I think there's, there's, I mean, I reckon we're going to see all of those models. The, the tricky part is going to be pricing it, really. You get, I think the level of, un, you know, the level of uncertainty and around the risk here is is going to be transformative for travel insurance. Just just when, when I think from a, from just from a pure kind of underwriting perspective, you've got these sort of rising costs that are really unpredictable. Even if you put, even if you sort of put COVID to one side, what does the stress on a medical system do for the cost of medical bills over the next three years? And how do you price that in? How do you deal with bubbles and people moving around? There's, I think there's so many 
I, I think we'll perhaps we'll have better time to get into it. But the way you actually construct a product and sell it and distribute it and price it is, I think, it's going to be wholesale change. And and I think you're right. You go once you've solved the pricing issue, then there's going to be clever ways to distribute it. If it's suddenly going to be a much more expensive buy, is it sort of bundled in with a big ticket item like the cruise ticket? I think I think that's yeah. That, 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 we're gonna, but I guess the point the that. point there about health healthcare providers is you could have all the health insurance in the world and come to the UK. But if there isn't a bed in a hospital for you to be treated in, then what's the point in you having four million pounds worth of cover? Because, you know, we do have private hospitals in this country, but a lot of them have been handed over to the NHS or were, were previously. And I imagine that would happen again as we ended the second surge because we're, we're way ahead of most of Europe in cases here, although we seem to have ignored that. Um, we're, we're in the, you know, 15, 20,000 a day kind of thing. Um what do you, how does that work? So you can say, yeah, well, I've got travel insurance. Great. Come to the UK, but yeah. you won't be able to get treatment. And and, and, and and for non-COVID related things, you come you arrive in the UK, you're you know, really common scenario, you're you're sort of the older end of the age group, you've got DVT, you need to go into in, into hospital for you know what would normally be a fairly routine 72 hours in hospital, warfarin, blah 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 blah. There's no bed. But that could be life or death. <laughs> Whereas you know last year that was just a fairly routine nine thousand pound, you know, kind of um medical bill um that would be picked up by the insurer. Um, so I, I, th- these are the absolute kind of challenges that are that are, that are, that are going to unravel over the next sort of year or so. But I think did, didn't didn't even one of the countries ban cycling at one point to make sure they protected beds so you couldn't go outdoor cycling simply for the reason that if you were a roadie and you came off they didn't want to have the risk of taking out beds for someone that came off going around a hairpin bend at speed or whatever else. I mean it's it's genuinely really interesting. I remember my brother. Um, got caught up years ago in the Icelandic volcano. Was it the Icelandic volcano that went off? Yeah, Ash Volcano. And yeah, and, yeah and, and the travel just stopped everywhere. So, so you, you know, Jason, you talk about COVID-related stuff, but do we now look at, hey, we've had, we've had the Icelandic volcano, we've had SARS, now we've got um, COVID. Looking forward, we can't not. I mean, back to the very first point, um, Sasha, I think you made it, right? We always look to go, are we covered for COVID? Are we this? Are we that? Um, I have never, and Sarah, your point a second ago was really interesting. You, you could have almost been at a dinner table here. If we do book travel, I would never have considered looking at the country's health system before. And now all of a sudden I'm going, do we have equivalency or something that we're used to? If you all of a sudden get a whole bunch of tourists out of the UK going to you know, the Barbados or the USA or whatever else. And can we get access to the medical cover if we need to? It's not something that I would ever have considered. I wouldn't even thought twice about it, to be honest. But now, Sasha, you know, you made the very the point very early on. Is that the responsibility of the insurer, the travel insurer, the country that you go to, or the holiday company that you booked it all with? I mean, I've always asked that question because I'm paranoid, but maybe that's just me. Like, I would always look at countries. I mean, I there's various reasons for that, but I have always looked at a country's healthcare system before I've been there. And you'd be surprised. I mean, Greece has the most amazing healthcare. Same goes for Thailand, actually, <laughs> when you start to look into it. But um, sorry, I interrupted because that was a fair question to, to you, Sasha. That's a very good, a very good question, and it comes up quite a bit even before COVID nineteen, but. Myself, personally, my specialty is emergency medical assistance, evacuating people from in and out of the world. And I've been doing it for the last 25 years. And and I think the healthcare system around the world has improved so much. And we see a lot of, uh, especially tourist destinations, Thailand, for example, or Brazil, or yeah, even, you know, uh, Caribbean countries, they, they've built their healthcare system around tourists because that was the biggest issue, of course, uh, for tourists coming in. Um, like Sarah, uh, concerned about healthcare in the country. So uh, there's plenty of plenty of hospitals that are out there that are credible, and the medical care is phenomenal. And um, there's plenty. Uh, we so far we've been really busy in the last three months. We've never once had a case where somebody could not receive medical treatment. Um, it's maybe in London it's different, but uh, it's certainly not the case in um, most of the countries. It's funny, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a movie buff as well as I'm an insurance geek. And I don't know if you ever recall the movie The Impossible, which was the story of the survivors of the tsunami. And at the very end, your comment there at the very end was maybe remind me of the very final scene of the movie where Zurich Insurance come in with a jet and take the people off of the island and go, it's all, you know, we get young. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's exactly what happens. And actually, um, you know, like I started doing medical assistance 
I think September 11th happened. That was the first disaster. And then, of course, tsunami in Thailand and then SARS, Ebola, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And, and, and what was really, really evident after each of these type of massive, massive uh, circumstances, the rise of travel insurance um, sales, you see that keeps going up and up because people are so aware of what could happen while you're traveling. And I think the movie Impossible, actually, uh, that was one of the examples as well, because you always think of those scenarios um, when you travel. Jason, you said it right. You said it, it's COVID's got lots of horrible things about it, but actually by increasing awareness of these things that you must be or pay more attention to, maybe we should just call it Be More Sarah, given that Sarah now looks at other uh, health conditions and health networks in different countries you go to. Uh, we, we need to be more Sarah, right? We need to understand what we're going to and getting ourselves involved with so we can actually get repatriated or whatever else. I'm never worried about losing luggage because that's just stuff, right? I'm always worried about medical repatriation getting home. They're the things that I would buy travel insurance for. So look, be, be, before I hand back to Sarah, what's both your guys, you know, top one, top two things as insurers you focus on to make sure that um, we serve our customers and their future needs in a way that we're always one step ahead to keep them protected? No, I mean, just just sort of leading on from that last conversation, I think, you know, for us, we'll be stepping back into into travel insurance and, and, and I guess responding to that demand that we'll see in Australia and New Zealand over, over the year. I mean, the question we'll ask ourselves is, yeah, if we're, if we're willing to write policies and underwrite travel to certain countries, are we going to be, you know, can we say hand on heart that we can respond and provide, you know, care, um, whatever it takes? You know, that might mean airlifting people out for things that we would never have previously airlifted out. Um, and getting them into um, in, into other healthcare systems. So those are some of the challenges from an underwriting perspective. I think just coming back to that kind of insure tech challenge, I, I I just feel sort of I feel you know we're a, we're called open. We we're very much kind of an open insurance company. We 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 have APIs so that people can help us make our products better and, and respond to customer needs, um, and build on top of our platforms. And I think there's just so much opportunity for um, insurtechs to respond to some of those problems relating to customer experience and relating to risk, helping us understand where people are, um, helping us update their policies because they're suddenly traveling not just in the north of France, but they're in the south of France. And that's really relevant all of a sudden um, to understand risk and pricing. Um, so I think, um, you know, there's, there's, the, there's the sort of nuts and bolts of underwriting and, and, get, and ensuring that you can deliver on commitments. But there's so much um, opportunity for innovation here and, um, and you know, particularly across the broader insurtech ecosystem. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. Sasha, what's, what's your point? Yeah, same, actually. Just to add on to Jason, I think when we started Battleface, that's exactly why we wanted to create Battleface is that um, the world was changing even before COVID-19. You know, we were looking at the time just at terrorist and um, disastrous type of activities. For example, one one day Ukraine was extremely safe and then overnight it changed to be not so safe. And how do you control that from the underwriting perspective? And how do you make underwriters comfortable that, yes, in fact, you can offer insurance going to Ukraine? And it's not just a blanket uh, policy that covers you worldwide. And, and that's where I think we're going to see more and more of module pricing and products that would be developed um, based on your destination and, you know, and, and certain uh, events that take place. I think the next thing we're going to see is Brexit. You know, what's going to happen to British travelers when they enter uh, Europe? So um, that's a whole different show. <laughs> exactly. We can have a separate discussion. <laughs> but yeah, I think what we'll see in the future is underwriters, uh, startups, MGAs, cover holders, MGUs, they need to have an innovative pricing model that they can better control the risks and price properly, but also still provide that uh, service that consumers are looking for. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see. And, I'd, and I hope, you know, at the very basic level, we continue to see that consumer interest in, in buying travel insurance for their own sakes, really, as, as much as for the travel <laughs> insurance industry's sake. Um, right. Just before we leave you, we spoke to Peter Smith, Head of Travel Partnerships for EMEA at Cover Genius. In today's interview, Peter's going to tell us his view of the future of travel insurance and how the industry is going to change going forward. Uh, Peter, thank you for coming on the show. How are you today? It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm very well indeed. Thank you. Excellent. Can you start off actually just by giving our listeners uh, a brief introduction to, to yourself and to Cover Genius? I certainly can. Yes, thank you. So 
Uh, starting with me, yeah, you've mentioned it already, but uh, at Cover Genius, I'm responsible for enabling travel businesses to protect their global customers, uh, digitally primarily. Um, a little bit about me personally, I've 25 years working in the travel industry across various different businesses. With the past 15 years, spent more specifically in travel tech, travel tech businesses, helping to build some of the world's biggest digital travel companies. And, and the last sort of 10 years, enabling airlines, online travel agents and other travel businesses to sell uh, travel ancillary products, including insurance, which uh, brings me right up to date uh, to Cover Genius. Um, so a little bit about Cover Genius. Cover Genius is one of the fastest growing insurtechs globally and the fastest growing company in APAC, according to the Financial Times. Our B2B platform, uh, Xcover, as it's known, enables the world's largest digital companies to protect their customers with any line of insurance in any language, anywhere in the world from a single API. And together we protect customers for brands from the world's largest uh, companies, travel companies like Booking Holdings, the biggest in the world, Despegar, the largest OTA in Latin America, eTraveli, the biggest flight aggregator in Europe, and then two other brands outside of travel I mentioned were any line of insurance. So we're working with big brands in retail, logistics, ticketing, fintech, so on and so forth. Um, just sort of, sort of brands you'll recognize, such as eBay, uh, ShipStation, uh, that they're one of the world's biggest shipping software companies, AXS, the second largest ticketing platform in the world, um, and many, many others. Brilliant. So, I mean, uh, that, that's quite that's quite the comprehensive um, overview. Um, so, uh, given you know, Cover Genius has so many things, um, but what was the what, what happened in COVID when COVID nineteen started? What was what was the Cover Genius experience? And I suppose specifically for, for today's show about the travel element of it, because obviously I'm sure some lines of your business just carried on completely as normal, but the travel <laughs> I imagine was, was quite impacted. Indeed, yeah. I mean, some lines of businesses actually did tremendously well when you consider them were in sort of retail and logistics, for example. But, you know, if you look solely at travel, you know, that there was a massive change from sort of Feb, March onwards. And within Cover Genius, we have our own sort of data analytics and experimentation framework called BrightWrite, which enables dynamic product recommendations and pricing optimizations and so on. And behind BrightWrite is a bunch of really intelligent, clever folk. And those guys, the, the BrightWrite team, they examined the effect of COVID as it really started to unfold back in those early days. Um, and, and right through the, the, the last sort of six months, really. And I guess the real key takeaway that we started to uh, understand very quickly, and this has remained so throughout, is that we saw the attach rate of travel insurance at the point of sale with our, our travel partners increase between four and 600%. Uh, at their peak versus December last year. So I guess what this really demonstrates is that travelers want protection and they want peace of mind more than more than ever before. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then that's that's really actually quite reassuring to hear. Um <laughs> <laughs> that uh, that that that, uh, that that you know people are buying more of it now because obviously it's been a, a huge problem with people being underinsured uh, historically. Um, what about so so you you'd mentioned it a little bit there, but you know what about your your relationships with your your clients? Because obviously your clients are businesses; they're not uh, customers. Um, so you know, given actually that some lines went up hugely, what did that mean for you? Did you have to change anything? Was that difficult for you to accommodate? You know those huge increases. Was was there any any impact? I suppose. Yeah, well, I guess as a tech business, we can handle uh, that. That's completely set up um, uh, for insurance and to enable us to deal with peaks in demand. Um, that that's never really been an issue for us. You know, when you're working with ticketing platforms, for example, you know, if a big major concert um, is cancelled over a period of a week, you may have hundreds of thousands of customers that you have to deal with claims for. Now, if you're a traditional insurer with a call center, that's really difficult. But for us, we can do that with our tech. And But again, focusing in on travel, um, I, I guess what did we have to do differently? 
One of the first things we did is we reached out to our, our partners to really understand their needs during this pandemic and the needs of their customers in this new world. Um, because I think what became very apparent is that flexibility, agility, the ability to really move fast was, was super important. Um, so we worked with those guys and we, we quickly got an understanding that there was a real need for insurance that didn't have exclusions for COVID-19. Because of course, many customers became uh, aware very quickly that they may have had insurance, but it didn't necessarily cover them for this situation. So what that meant is we quickly identified that. We worked with our partners to understand specific needs of their customers. And we very quickly were able to build out a portfolio of very relevant COVID protection products that importantly didn't have any exclusions for COVID. That's fantastic. I mean, that, that was that was the, the thing that everyone was looking for. I know I was looking for it myself when when I was, I still thought I might be going on holiday <laughs> this month. Um, <laughs> but there we go. Uh, that's another story. Um, so, so what do you think about the industry? What have you seen across the industry more broadly, the travel insurance industry? So you, you, you can move quickly and you have moved quickly and, and you've adapted. Do you think that this will encourage other industry players to, to move faster? Um, or, or, you know, to, to, to see more innovation? Um, or do you think, you know, we're going to see the travel insurance industry contract? Uh, you know, what, what, what's your, your broader picture, I suppose? Yeah, I, I, I guess, um, you know, agility, flexibility and speed to market are, are super important. And I think one of the challenges faced traditionally within insurance, with traditional insurers, is um, they have legacy systems and operations which aren't so easy to unpick and deal with these fast changes in the marketplace uh, the same way that insurtechs can so i think there may be that there may be a greater focus from insurers across the scope uh, on on technology on being able to put customers at the heart of everything they do um, and, and flip the traditional model on its head so traditionally what's happened is insurers have an off-the-shelf product um, at set prices occasionally that they they give to partners or to customers in the hope that they suit the needs of those customers at any particular point in time. And um, the problem being, and as we've seen here, is that um, it hasn't necessarily done the job it wasn't supposed to. So customers have been made very aware, whether it's through trying to claim or through the press or social media or PR, that actually many of the policies that exist today or existed weren't fit for purpose in this new world. So I, I think there has to be a focus on um, being able to develop new products quickly. And when you work with a huge panel of insurers like we do all around the world, we're able to, to quickly um, develop new products in collaboration with partners according to customer requirements and then deliver those to the marketplace very fast globally. Um, so we've got a new partner coming on board, uh, a huge global travel company actually um we can announce that in the next week or so where we're rolling out these covert protection products in 50 markets around the world so that being able to do that you know fr from something that just hit us a few months ago is is really unique and i think we're going to start to see other companies try to follow suit in that respect so, I mean, I guess, I guess that's kind of. I was going to ask you, you know, what what does the future travel insurance look like? But you've you've given, you sort of hinted at it there, and I think it sounds like you're quite optimistic that that this will inspire change in the travel insurance industry. Yeah, I think it has to. I mean, I think that there will be some potentially some companies that fall by the wayside, um, given the marketplace right now. Um, but I think there is room for us all within this sort of travel insurance ecosystem both the insurtechs and the and the traditional insurers you know i i think there is the ability and we do this already to work together so that we can or insurtechs can can give um greater distribution to traditional insurers they can help to grow their book um they can have somebody like cover genius handle claims on their behalf so we handle claims ourselves and we, we we do that in a way whereby we can process claims very quickly within a matter of just a few days and we can pay out claims instantly in over 90 currencies um in a world where sort of traditionally it will take several weeks 
to process and, and, and pay out a claim. That again is something which is tremendous and that helps drive up a real high NPS. So our NPS is, is 65 plus. If you were to compare that to traditional insurers that may or may not measure it, you know, they, they have several challenges, which means they, they might struggle to meet an NPS of plus 15. Um, so we can help them to handle claims and we can essentially make their book more profitable for them. So I do think there's room for us all in this ecosystem. I think it may take uh, a number of years for um, traditional insurers to really catch up because they've so much to unpick. Um, but we can all work together and, 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 you know, for the greater good, I guess. Brilliant. Well, I, I like an optimistic. I like an optimist. Um, so let, let's hope it pans out that way. And, and do let us know when you can you can tell us about your your news, when you can give, give the game away or give the name away, as it were. Um, but thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, where can people find out more about you um, and what's going on at Cover Genius? Yeah, sure. So um, they can find out more at, at covergenius.com. Or if anybody's interested to hear from me, they can contact me at peter.s at covergenius.com and they can find out all the sort of things we're, we're looking to do at covergenius there's loads of exciting stuff happening right now like i say that huge travel partnership will be announced in the coming days and outside of travel we're just about to launch some some huge global brands as well brilliant well i i look forward to, to hearing more um, and we'll have to get you back when when some of the news is broken uh, thank you so much for joining me today for sure it's my pleasure thank you that wraps up this discussion. Thank you so much to my guests and to Nigel, of course. Uh, where can our listeners find out more about you, Jason? Jump onto huddle.com.au to see how um, we're changing insurance for consumers. And uh, and for more about Open, you can go to beopen.com. Perfect. Sasha? And for us, battleface.com. Brilliant. And Nigel? Researching stuff about countries I want to go to and their health systems online, I think, now. No, uh, you're, you're, <laughs> you'll find me on Twitter at Nigel Walsh. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Kachansky. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Instech Insiders or our 11FS LinkedIn page. That is 11 colon FS. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, which you can find on Spotify and your other podcast providers. Also, please, please do leave us a review. It helps us so much. Uh, InsureTech Insider, we'll be back very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.